expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio is Jane Ricards. She's a correspondent for The Economist. Jane, how are you? Good. How are you, Keith? Pretty well. And from Taichung, we're joined once again by Compass Magazine's Donovan Smith. Donovan. It's good to be here. Today on the show, we'll be looking at a growing controversy surrounding Tainan Mayor William Lai the expansion of third-phase water rationing to Kaohsiung, and an accident at a nuclear plant where, thankfully, the only kind of fallout so far has been political. Uh, But first up, this week news poured in every day of the growing devastation from the massive earthquake that rattled Nepal over the weekend. But as the scope of the disaster has grown, Taiwanese aid agencies and government organizations began to mobilize to offer help. So far, three teams from Taiwan have arrived in Nepal to assist with the rescue effort and deliver relief supplies. Uh, these have been organized by groups such as the Buddhist Compassion Relief Tsuchi Foundation, the Taiwan Red Cross Society, and the Buddha's Light International Association. Uh, so there's a lot to be covered on the international end of things here. But before we get to that, I just really want to go over real quick uh, what kind of aid uh, has been offered. So w- w- what kind of aid is Taiwan offering Nepal so far? Uh, well, the uh, Tsuchi uh, contingent has been led. It's a 15-member team led by the Taichung Tsuchi Hospital Superintendent, which has brought uh, with them more than a thousand kilos of medicines, and they expect to be, which they say will uh, treat over a thousand patients. They also uh, are expected to offer surgery and various physician and emergency services. There are 13 medical workers from the BLIA, uh, but that also is uh, paired with their Malaysian branch. Uh, plus 50 uh, local Nepalese volunteers. Uh, I don't have any details on what the Red Cross is doing, though. My understanding is that the Red Cross has pledged uh, 30 million NT in aid. Uh, But interestingly, they've uh, gotten into a bit of a controversy this week from uh, some people in Taiwan who have expressed concerns over the overhead costs that uh, seem to go into the Red Cross's work. Uh, They draw, as an example, the the response to the 2011 uh, Fukushima disaster, uh, the Red Cross's aid to that, uh, a lot of critics say, uh, mostly went to overhead expenses. So uh, that's been a bit of a controversy for the Red Cross. On the international front, the big controversy this week has been the fact that the Nepalese government has politely declined uh, any search and rescue teams being sent from Taiwan. Uh, So, Jane, what can you tell us about that? Yes, I was speaking to an expert on cross-strait relations, and he thinks most likely it was sort of a knee-jerk reaction that there's some sort of guideline for dealing with Taiwan, and they just followed it unthinkingly. He says it's very unlikely that China pressured Nepal to do this. Um, China needs... You know, Taiwanese people to think favourably of China before the election, and it just—he said they just wouldn't be so stupid as to sort of. It also looks very cruel. Mm. Doesn't look very humanitarian. He said China wouldn't be stupid enough as to put pressure on Nepal to do this, and he thinks that there won't be many diplomatic implications. But in the bigger picture, I think that there's sort of a great game going on in Nepal between China and India. So it's quite true that, despite the fact that it's probably just an oversight or. 
and not a deliberate slight of Taiwan that China's trying to um, expand its influence in Nepal. And Nepal might be responding to that. Yes, I still think it was just sort of a, as this analyst said, I, I think most likely it was sort of a knee-jerk reaction. I don't think China would deliberately try and slight Taiwan this way. But then interestingly, uh, I mean, as we've already mentioned, uh, Taiwan has actually sent over a number of aid teams. Mm. So it, uh, like you said, it, it doesn't mm. necessarily seem like this is a, a binding or something that's uh, really carried much force. Yes, I think this again points to the fact that it was just sort of a knee-jerk reaction and not sort of a policy, on a very strong policy on Nepal's part or a deliberate move from China. Uh, Donovan, anything to add there? Yeah, I, I think I think Jane's right uh, that I don't think that uh, I think this was sort of a knee-jerk re- response, but I do think there was some precedent that Nepal may have been knee-jerking responding, <laughs> knee-jerkingly responding to um, back when the nine twenty twenty one earthquake happened here, for example. China uh, refused uh, certain uh, groups to fly through their airspace and demanded certain international groups to uh, funnel uh, aid through them as the, as China, uh, and saying that Taiwan was part of China. And uh, additionally, in Nepal, the, the Nepal comes un, under a lot of pressure uh, over Tibetans living or uh, at, being active in Nepal. So I think that they, with that constant pressure being applied over Tibet, uh, and that issue, I think that uh, Jane is absolutely right. It's a, it's a knee-jerk uh, response, but I do think that that, that there's some precedent and uh, some reasons that they would they would respond that way. Now, China itself seemed a little bit stung over the international coverage. I mean, there was a lot of international press over the fact that Nepal uh, reportedly turned down Taiwan's offer, and I noticed that Xinhua. Uh, uh, came out with an article on the People's Daily, which uh, said the China mainland has launched an emergency mechanism to provide help for Taiwanese in Nepal, a mainland official said on Wednesday. After the Nepal earthquake, the mainland is willing to help Taiwanese compatriots in Nepal as both sides are one family, he said. Um, now, also, this is also, I thought, interesting, is that Taiwan, the, the, the local government denied that it was... Uh, and said that Nepal had only asked for aid or uh, search and rescue help from neighboring countries. So the local government here kind of denied that, that, that they were turned down. Yes, I've just got two um, points to make in response to your comments, Donovan. Um, the first thing, when you talked about those um, articles in Xinhua, I think China's been, even though it might have been a slight or an oversight or um, Nepal hadn't really thought it through, I think China's in a very awkward situation because if it comes out and says, um, no, we didn't really do that, that's sort of like implying that there's one Taiwan, one China, or sort of giving Taiwan more international recognition. But if it doesn't say anything, it makes China look very cruel and inhumane. So I think that's all China could really do is come out with these Xinhua articles, as you, which you mentioned, which is, you know, that everyone's one family and they're looking after Taiwanese compatriots in Nepal. But probably China feels very awkward. And my second comment is that um, you talk about a precedent with the 921 earthquake. Um, I think you have to remember that in those days, China was much less sophisticated, particularly in its treatment of Taiwan. And you had Li Denghui sort of, um, I think, he'd push for a special state-to-state relationship. So I think China's more aware of international opinion now. Um, I think it's more aware that if it tries to sort of limit aid to a country in such a devastating disaster that there'll be a lot of fallout. And it's more aware of Taiwanese people and that it knows that after the missile crisis, for example, that more people went off and voted for Li Denghui, not less. 
And I think China's more aware too that if it provokes a strong sort of backlash or in Taiwanese people to just be more of a vote for politicians that support the independence or KMT politicians that lean closer to the green. So yes, there's a precedent with a 921 earthquake, but again, no, there isn't. Well, uh, pretty much any time that Taiwan goes out onto the international stage, there's going to be, you know, some kind of news produced by it. But uh, the important thing is that, you know, some amount of aid is going to help uh, Nepal, which is very much in need. So uh, at least some amount of aid is making it over there. Uh, On next to kind of a grab bag of politics. It's kind of a mess this week. No huge story dominated the headlines, but we're going to try to uh, hit a lot of little stories that uh, we all thought were pretty interesting. Now, starting off with a little bit of news about Tainan Mayor William Lai, there's been a bit of speculation going around town that the upcoming presidential election could just maybe create a new job opening for him. That is to say that if KMT chairman Eric Ju runs for president and if he vacates his seat as new Taipei city mayor, uh, some say there is a possibility that Lai might just run for that seat. Uh, Lots of political rumors get started in Taiwan every day, but in this case, uh, Lai isn't denying it. I personally think that this report's a complete beat-up for several reasons. Um, I think someone's spreading a rumour to sort of put pressure on Ju not to run for president and to remain as um, new Taipei City Mayor. And according to the Taipei Times, um, Lai himself suggested someone spread the rumour to hold hold Eric Ju back from giving up his position and running for president. I actually have the quote yeah. right in front of me. Uh, yeah. According to Lai, he says, it seems like someone intentionally spread the rumour <laughs> to hold Chu back from giving up on his position and running for president. And yes. I do not want to spoil the effect of the rumour by giving a specific statement. Yes, well, I think this sort of rumour definitely helps the DPP because it's putting pressure on Eric Jew. But I think in the last week or so, we've seen further signs that Eric Jew does not intend to run for president. I think it was reasonably clear before that. But first of all, um, he plans to meet with Xi Jinping on Monday, I think, May the 4th. Mm. And um, I was speaking to a professor of cross-strait relations and he sort of said that that's a further sign that um, Ju doesn't want to run for president because that's quite politically unpopular. Especially now. Yes, it's in the wake of the anniversary of the sunflower protests and the sort of general mood in Taiwan. Um, the second thing I'd point out is that I spoke to the KMT and they said they're going to announce their presidential candidate in July. And it really, to me, that doesn't really make any sense mm. because um, DPP um, candidate Tsai Ing-wen has got a massive start, head start and the KMT really needs someone to consolidate sort of the leadership in different factions and they need to sort of come out with their guns blazing against Tsai Ing-wen, but they haven't done this so far. But the biggest reason why I think that Eric Jew doesn't want to run for president, I think, was in the news this morning, if, at least with the English language press, if you looked at the Taipei Times and the China Post, um, DPP presidential candidate Tsai Ing-wen, her Achilles heel in the eyes of some people, including China and perhaps including blue supporters, is that she doesn't have a clear China policy. Um, Pres- Chinese President Xi Jinping's made it clear that he wants Taiwan to stick to the 1992 consensus and Tsai Ing-wen has so far has said the DPP won't accept it. Um, well, who was going after Tsai Ing-wen? You know, it wasn't an aspiring KMT presidential candidate. It wasn't a new KMT leader. It was Ma Ying Zhou who's virtually missed unpopularity. And I think that's the biggest sign that there's a vacuum in the KMT and it's in disarray. Donovan, is that your read on it as well? 
Yeah, I think the, the, the KMT isn't coming out guns blazing because they can't. They don't have anyone. Um, the closest they've got to a candidate, I think, is Wong Jinping. Um, and uh, because Eric Chu, I, th- I completely agree with Jane. I don't think, I, I don't think he's going to run. Um, now, a lot of people are saying that, that Tai's Achilles heel is her cross-strait policy, although the little, the little bit of the irony on this is it's her extremely vague definition versus the 92 consensus, which China and Taiwan don't even agree on what it is. <laughs> so, uh, it's, uh, the, they're arguing their vague interpretation is, is, less vague than her vague in- interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true, Donovan. I got stuck uh, explaining that on the news this morning, and that's yeah. just, that's not a position you want to be in. <laughs> it's a very difficult fight to explain, but uh, I, I think that Jane's read on it is it is right, is that the main takeaway point is, you know, not what points are they making, but who is making the points. Yeah, 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 no, I, I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, a lot to think about there, but we're going to have to leave behind uh, the KMT's drought of presidential candidates and move on to the drought drought, the actual <laughs> drought in Taiwan. Uh, and we've, uh, we've seen some rain over the past couple of weeks, but it hasn't done much to ease conditions in Kaohsiung, which is now set to see third phase water rationing begin next week. Uh, to help us out with this story, as he does with all things Kaohsiung, is our Kaohsiung correspondent, Michael Smith. Michael, thanks for uh, getting on the line with us. Not a problem. And, uh, well, we've been talking about this for the past uh, couple of weeks here, and I keep telling you that uh, there just doesn't seem to be this sort of bite or doesn't seem to uh, be affecting the local person. Well, that's all changed, uh, and uh, the bite has come. Because starting on May 5th, which is next week, I believe, every Tuesday and Wednesday there will be two days without water for the entire city of Kaohsiung, which is quite a shock because... Uh, if memory serves me correctly, the last time we even had minor water shortage issues and they even talked about, like, cutting water for the average consumer was a decade ago, if my, if my memory serves me right. So here we are, and uh, there's going to be two solid days, basically, without water. And every Friday following that, they are going to do a review to see how the Gaoping River is doing. Now, the Gaoping River is the major river that flows between Kaohsiung and Pingdong, hence the name, and it needs to have about 8.1 cubic meters or more flowing stably through it, and then we don't need to restrict water. At present, it is much below that, Uh, and uh, if you go and walk along the riverbed, it's uh, just dry as a bone, and it goes all the way up to, like, the Maolin area up in the, the hills of, of Kaohsiung. Yes, so how have local residents been responding so far? So people here are starting to take various measures, uh, such as buying massive uh, storage containers and filling them up with water so that they can have water during the days when they're cut off. I don't know if that uh, is the greatest idea or not, but uh, that's what people are doing. In other situations that are happening around Kaohsiung, the Grand Hotel in Kaohsiung is closing its swimming pool and also its sauna. The Hanxing uh, Hotel, which is also one of the major ones here, has done the same, as well as the Grand Hanlai Hotel. Also, there will be no car washing available during these times, and uh, that's pretty much the bite that we're beginning to feel down here. Um, Yeah, so uh, how about the areas around Kaohsiung? How are they being affected? Right. 
So um, over in Tainan and Miaoli, Miaoli is actually quite a ways up from uh, Kaohsiung, but let's take Tainan, for example. They are in phase two rationing. Uh, in the center of Taiwan, in Nantou, where the mountains are, they have a tight water supply, but there's no reports right now that they are going to do anything about it. But surprisingly, Pingdong, which is only 15 kilometers away from Kaohsiung, has no shortage of water, despite the Mudan Reservoir, which supplies the city being at only 30% capacity, and that's because there's still a lot of groundwater that is being pumped out for the Pingdong area. Okay, is the government making any, any, any kind of long-term response, either to um, shorten this drought or prevent any future droughts? Yeah, I think a couple of weeks ago when we uh, did uh, a tie- Taiwan This Week, we discussed how uh, Taiwan loses so much water from leaking pipes and outdated infrastructure So uh, a lot of the commentators in local uh, channels down here have been pressing the government, the local Kaohsiung government, to take the matter seriously and to consider doing some serious uh, upgrading of all of that because Taipei's one is already, uh, Taipei's situation is is already horrible, but if you can imagine the situation down here where infrastructure is, is not even up to that level, so it's a much bigger problem down here than even up there. We are losing, I don't have the facts in front of me, but it's a, a stunning amount of water that's being lost just from bad piping and all of that. However, getting this done is a bit of a trouble uh, for both uh, the government, both governments, the central government and the local government, because the central government needs to allocate some sort of budget for this. However, they want the city government to also get involved and put some of their budget to it. And the city government's like, well, you've been paying for it for other cities, then why shouldn't you pay? So this tug of war begins, and it goes back and forth. And in the meantime, nothing gets done, which is what's happened for the last 15 years. Uh, So Donovan, you're also down south. Uh, Anything that's uh, striking you about the ongoing drought and the response to it? Well, we just had a report here in Nanto with uh, one of the reservoirs. Uh, the the silting is go, is building up faster than they're able to dredge it. But Kaohsiung has a very unique situation relative to the rest of the island in that it's supplied by a river. So their situation is really quite different than what the rest of the country deals with. And the solutions will be different. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave that story now uh, and go on to our last story for today, which is the brewing fracas over an accident at the nuclear plant in Pingdong County. Uh, And this one is also in your neck of the woods, Michael. So uh, if you wouldn't mind sticking around to throw in your two cents. Sure. So on Sunday, a fire broke out in the plant's non-nuclear zone at Taiwan's third nuclear power plant. One of the two reactors was then shut down the next day. Uh, Taiwan Power Company has given assurances that there was no evacuation and no danger of radioactive contamination. But now... Pingdong County authorities are threatening to take legal action against the company over its failure to notify authorities about the incident in a timely fashion. Uh, So, Donovan, could you give us a little bit of a recap about what happened Sunday? At at one of the two reactors at the nuclear power number three down there, a a fire broke out in auxiliary uh, electrical transformer. Now, by the way, there have been four such incidents at the same power plant, and all of them uh, caused by faulty auxiliary electrical transformers. Now, this is going to take two weeks to repair, uh, and it will not lead to any power shortages. But uh, the, the, the Pingdong County government is upset about this because apparently it took 17 minutes for workers to get the fire under control, but the county was informed just one minute before the workers extinguished the fire. And so the county government is threatening legal action, saying that they need to also keep in mind that the safety, not just of the workers of the plant, but also those of Pingdong County residents, is at stake here. 
So basically, they're saying that they weren't informed in a timely manner.、Uh, the company was didn't you know they only responded after、uh, I think a local resident reported this. They told、uh, the county government, and then the county government had to go and ask. Um, and so, what the county is saying, there's a bit of a history here, isn't there, Donovan? Yeah. Well, this is this happened. This is the fourth time this has happened, and they they're saying that the plant administrators have contravened Article 23 of the Nuclear Emergency Response Act, as that they didn't inform the county government when the fire broke out and compromised the county government's ability to gather the information necessary to enforce the disaster prevention measures, according to a legislator. Uh, sorry, a county government spokesman.、Um, so there's also some、uh, DPP legislators、uh, also went and tried to get the maintenance records、uh, for the power converter,、uh, and they were turned down. Now, a spokesman for Thai、uh, Power said that、uh, the power converter that they're allowed to come down to Pingdong, they can view the maintenance records in person, but may not photograph them or photocopy them. As they belong, they are intellectual property of Hitachi Limited,、uh, and and that has been the case since they bought the power converter in 1983. So it,、uh, I, I've heard from at least a couple of people that、uh, this makes them suspicious that there's some kind of a cover up going on. They're not being totally forthcoming with what they know about uh, uh, all, all of their equipment. Well, they're certainly making it difficult, aren't they? Yeah. Well,、uh, Michael, you're not too far away from this whole area. So,、uh, what can you tell us about how residents have been reacting so far? Sure. Shortly following the announcement that there was a fire at the、uh, Pingdong Atomic Plant, there was a small group of anti-nuclear activists in Gaozhong City that came out and、uh, did a sort of protest. But I have to be frank and say that it was pretty small. I mean, if、uh, I count, if I could. Count them just from the television. It looked like、uh, maybe only fifty or sixty people or so. So there hasn't been any sort of firestorm of protest or something. But people's opinions are definitely, at least from the people that I've spoken to, definitely being swayed in the direction of this power plant and atomic power for Taiwan in general. Just does not seem to be worth it because it's just too serious. And the anger that is being、uh, expressed、uh, by local, I guess we call them talking heads. Is over the actions of Thai Power. Thai Power didn't expressly confess <laughs> to this incident. They didn't、uh, explain how it happened in a timely manner. They've been apologizing and sending out、uh, vehicles to the Pingdong area with loudspeakers saying sorry and all the rest of it. But it does not seem to be resonating with local people. And local、uh, people here in the south are basically, from what I understand, seeming to. Definitely be swayed towards getting rid of atomic power, especially down in the south. So, besides, you know, the anti-nuclear dimension of this,、uh, this is really setting up a, a little bit of、uh, a showdown between the local government and and the plant. What has the plant、uh, responded with so far, Jane? Well,、um, the plant says it didn't break any laws because、um, it says industrial safety accidents must be reported to local government authorities one hour after they happen. And regardless of the circumstances, that is what happened. But I personally think the controversy is going to make people more suspicious of nuclear power because it's really denting confidence in how the plants are managed, despite the fact that no one was injured and radioactive material didn't escape and things like that. So, do you see this、uh, becoming a national issue? I don't think it's going to、um, rise to the level of national issue, but I think if there's another incident like this, it might sort of、um, snowball.
I think this particular incident in itself is it's not going to lead to massive demonstrations outside the presidential office or anything like that. But it's it's going to be one of the things which is, I, I predict would be in the back of people's minds and sort of pulled out at a later date when something else happens. And looking at just the lawsuit itself, uh, how how big of an impact could this have on Thai power? I mean, we we already discussed a little bit of grandstanding uh, earlier in the program. Uh, Donovan, do you think this is another example of that, or 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 could this really be a significant showdown that could you know uh, damage Thai power? Well, I, th- I think this. Uh, I think Jane is correct. I, I think this one incident. Really, what it does is it speaks to a pattern of. It speaks to a pattern of failure uh, on the part of authorities at nuclear power plants, which is, is of course, going to make people nervous. And considering there is a major debate over the role of nuclear power and the fourth nuclear power plant, I think that the fact that they have repeatedly had, had these kinds of mishaps, it speaks poorly to their record in general. Well, it certainly doesn't build confidence. No, it, it, that, that's a good way of putting it, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave this issue here, uh, meaning we are done with you, Michael. Thank you for calling in. No problem. Talk to you soon. And in fact, uh, we're actually going to have to wrap up the whole show here. That's it for today. You can leave your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find the program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. If you're listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. It lets us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Jane Ricards. Jane? Thanks, Keith. And uh, over the phone, Donovan Smith. Thank you as well. And thank you. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, www.icrt.com.tw. Now, keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT-FM 100.